Hello everyone. Welcome to Voice of the Wild, a weekly podcast initiative by Naturalist Foundation. This is the ninth episode airing on 18th July 2020. With this podcast, we bring you closer to the world of wildlife conservation, scientific research and government environmental policies. I am Ritwik Menon and along with me I have and I am Vanishree Naik. Today in the ninth episode of the podcast, we will be talking about how climate change is affecting the growth of trees and if efforts are not taken, it might lead to disastrous calamities that seldomly happened before like the nisarg that hit gujarat and maharashtra a few weeks back the results were disastrous even after such situations human animal conflict hasn't reduced and the mass death of elephants in botswana could possibly be the result of such conflicts but it's not the case everywhere as in the northeastern part of india dehing patkai is now being upgraded as a national park which could be a positive not only for nature but the endangered elephants that thrive there the himalayan states have always proved to be proud of its forests and the effects are seen in many ways like the efforts to rejuvenate the himalayan streams it is important to protect the forest and the environment many methods and scientific discoveries like the bioplastics with fish scales have been coming out to help humans in the process of a cleaner and greener lifestyle We have many interesting topics today so without further ado let's get started We live in a day and age where some people trust politicians more than scientists for all things scientific where a disastrous phenomena such as climate change is associated with words like hoax conspiracy liberal propaganda etc We are so busy with feeding our own bias that we forget that there are more sides to a story Climate change in simple words means major change like temperature, precipitation, wind pattern among other effects that occur over several decades or longer. Climate change is not just affecting humans and animals but it is also affecting trees. Recent studies show that the composition of earth's forests are changing and one of the factors causing this change is global warming. Old trees are disappearing and a rise in temperature limits photosynthesis. Because of this younger trees are less able to reach heights enough to support their nutritional needs. Along with this there's an increase in the number of wildfire and insect attacks which also hinder its growth. Trees act like natural sponges to carbon dioxide and mature forests which are bigger tend to hold more of it than younger ones. They mostly store carbon dioxide to make new branches, roots etc. But we see a fall in mature forests because of either logging or wildfire. Now because these younger forests can't hold the same amount of carbon the planet's capacity to store CO2 decreases which exacerbates climate change Though forests can resist small changes in temperature however only if we limit the change in global temperature to below 2 degrees celsius pre-industrial period can we give the forests a fighting chance and let them adapt to it We do see that a lot of governments and private organizations have promoted planting trees in order to meet the global standards The problem that we face here is that they end up creating a monoculture tree plantation and most of them being trees like eucalyptus which grows quickly but have to be harvested every 10 to 15 years once again releasing the carbon into the atmosphere Sometimes these activities are based on false motivations such as to avoid carbon taxes The government can claim that they will benefit off of the saplings once they have matured and write them up as carbon credit On the flip side we also see many individuals and organizations realizing that the best thing to do 
is to leave the plot of land empty and let nature do its thing. This creates a more diverse ecosystem. However, most of the investors don't gravitate towards this idea as they like to be sure about their investment and have a detailed information on the possible future outcomes. Because there is no surety, they can't give figures or information on the trees that you might find in the areas once they have matured, so investors shy away from it. What all this indicates is that though planting trees is helpful, it takes decades and maybe centuries for trees to mature. The other alternative is that we conserve the existing forest that covers the earth which is more effective and less expensive. I can't just list all the problems and not talk about the possible available solution to climate change. So let's talk about what can be done. Something known as the Green New Deal of America, headed by the youngest woman ever elected to Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, which consists of just 14 pages. It is not a bill, a policy, a legislation, or a proposal. It is a couple pages of paper which cannot be turned into a law, but it is a first step towards change. Because it is the only piece of paper that acknowledges the fact that we as a species messed up. Many think that the Green New Deal is just an unattainable dream, and rightfully so. It focuses on mainly two questions. How can America change the way it's been functioning, and what America has to do? And second, how to protect the people? The Green New Deal sides with scientists. It says that zero emission is the only way to move forward. But what people don't understand is that the number zero means it all has to stop. The fossil fuel industry, the internal combustion car engine, the way that the clothing, steel, concrete and other manufacturing industries function. We have to rethink things like transportation, the way we produce electricity. And we have to do this all while seeing that it has no effect on the people. Zero emissions and shutdowns will impact the poor more than the wealthy. Many might lose jobs, lose their houses, insurances, etc. During the transition, we'll have to make sure that unlike before, wealth isn't distributed unevenly and that there is more equality in terms of income. According to experts, the 10-year deadline given by the deal is not feasible and it might take 30 years to do so. The cost of this change has been estimated to be around 93 trillions, but on the flip side, we should also consider that if the required changes are not done and society is allowed to function the way it is, it will cost us billions of dollars and millions of life. We will cause irreversible climate change and it cannot be undone in centuries. Currently, we are reliable on fossil fuels for production of energy. If it is energy being produced in huge energy plants or in our car, most of us think that renewable energy is the way to move forward. It is eco-friendly and less problematic. But what if I said renewable energy isn't the future? Okay, let me explain. In order for solar panels or windmills to generate enough electricity, a large area of wildlife will have to be cut down. The flow of energy is unpredictable and therefore we see countries like Germany relying on their neighbors and at times on their own citizens to consume more energy so that the grid doesn't blow out. There has also been a rise in the billing amounts where countries have tried to go green. So basically, there is no amount of technological advancement that can make sure that the sun shines most regularly or the wind blows more reliably. So when it comes to renewable energy, the problem that arises are not technical, but natural. The most safer alternative is nuclear power, as it can generate more or the same amount of energy 
that an acre long solar farm can and it is also the only place where the waste is contained and not directly let out into the atmosphere this does not mean that we shouldn't look into solar or wind and other renewable sources of energy it just means that we will have to decide on the proportions of energy that we want to generate by these alternative sources india is a developing country and i personally feel that we are at an advantage when it comes to changing the way that we function because we don't have a set of designs to follow we are still experimenting and figuring out what suits us and we can take this development phase and shift it into a more sustainable and eco-friendly country that is if we set our priorities right i do agree that we shouldn't lag behind trying to change a sustainable living but also shouldn't make planting of trees an excuse to pollute more maybe creating a sustainable world is still an utopian dream and might cost more but you can't put a value on life we already see an increase in cases of respiratory problems and other disorders due to pollution we also see a rise in natural calamities like cyclones an example of it being nisarg cyclone where for the first time a cyclone reached this close to mumbai and we may as well see many more such cases of cyclones if we don't do something about it or it may just so happen that in the race for the survival of the fittest the fittest might not survive just as india is famous for its biodiversity it is also known for its large coastline the states of gujarat and maharashtra have a coastal region that runs along one whole side of its borders the region includes important marine life like aquatic corals and large marine life like sea turtles whale sharks and dolphins a lot of the conservation efforts especially in gujarat are more emotional than intellectual that is why it is observed that a lot of wildlife is woven in their folklore the conservation of asian lions is one more famous effort by the people of gujarat now talking about the coast of these two states the total area comes to about 3000 kilometers which is large but it could sometimes be the cause of suffering especially with the amount of cyclones that are brewing due to climate change let's talk about nisarg which was the most recent cyclone that hit the coast a low pressure region in the arabian sea caused a natural storm on 31st may according to the experts the intensity of the hurricane was high which was then proved to settle after a period of time the coastal regions like alibag and bhavnagar were given first signals and the areas were emptied on 1st june heavy rains along with winds were seen in bhavnagar district at the time big movements were not observed but all precautionary measures were taken by the bhavnagar disaster cell forest department ndrf and disaster mitra on the other hand areas of maharashtra were hit by the cyclone mainly tree felling and wildlife destruction was observed rescue operations were carried out by local wildlife conservation organizations the affected wildlife include birds reptiles along with bats the rate of destruction in maharashtra was higher than that of gujarat but even the coasts of maharashtra were not harmed as much by the cyclone as it had changed its course and the strength of the winds had reduced all local bodies were on high alert in the coastal regions fishermen were ordered not to plow the seas until 7th june all coastal communities were warned and necessary precautions were taken 
The rescue teams were active until 6th June and once the area was noted to be safe, the locals were informed. It is saddening to see that even after such calamities hit us due to our wrongdoings, human-wildlife conflict still occurs and such situations cause ill effects not only for the wildlife that thrives with us but even for us. Our actions cause huge mass deaths of animals like the elephants that happened in Botswana a few days back, where the cause is unknown but indirectly or directly can be linked to humans. Hundreds of elephants have died mysteriously in Botswana's famed Okavanga Delta. The landlocked South African country has the world's largest elephant population, estimated to be around 1,30,000. Poaching has been ruled out as a cause of death because the carcasses were found intact. The Ministry of Environment, Natural Resources, Conservation and Tourism said in a statement that three laboratories in Zimbabwe, South Africa and Canada have been identified to process the samples taken from the dead elephants. Elephants Without Border, a conservation organization, reported that its own aerial survey showed that elephants of all ages appeared to be dying. The group counted 169 dead elephants on May 25th and 187 on June 14th. Several live elephants that we observed appeared to be weak, lethargic and emaciated. Some elephants appeared disoriented, had difficulty in walking, showed signs of partial paralysis or a limb. One elephant was observed walking in circles, unable to change directions, although being encouraged by other herd members. Mr. Mike Chase, the director of Elephants Without Borders, said, Urgent action needs to be established if the deaths were caused by disease or poisoning. Africa's overall elephant population is declining due to poaching. But Botswana, which is home to almost a third of the continent's elephants, saw its elephant population rise from 80,000 to 1,30,000 in the late 1990s. The animals are seen as a nuisance by some farmers because they can destroy crops. So some people are saying that they have killed the elephants and some are saying that it is due to a disease. Still, the information currently available is inconclusive. The Botswana government has released a statement explaining that investigations are ongoing and the laboratories have been identified to process samples taken from the carcasses of dead elephants to avoid further speculations and prevent the death of more elephants in their last remaining stronghold it is vital that investigations are expedited so that the cause of death can be determined and suitable actions can be taken most of us must have heard the news about dehing patkai wildlife sanctuary it is now going to be upgraded as a national park which is great news on its own, but let's wait until you actually understand the kind of differences that this sole decision could make on the entire ecosystem of the Dehing Patkai. To know the major kind of issues that could be resolved by this, we need to first understand the differences between a wildlife sanctuary and a national park. While the main aim of a wildlife sanctuary as well as a national park is to save the wildlife of the region, there are minor differences that could go a long way. Firstly, a wildlife sanctuary has the main goal of protecting only the wildlife of the region, whereas a national park would not only protect the wildlife, but also the complete flora and fauna of the designated area along with heritage and topography. A wildlife sanctuary may or may not have defined boundaries leading to illegal interferences, whereas a national park has defined borders 
which allows no illegal activities to be conducted inside of them talking about illegal activities any kind of human activity like agriculture grazing animals etc which is allowed in wildlife sanctuaries are prohibited and illegal in a national park which keeps the flora and fauna undisturbed moreover special permits are needed for safaris in a national park whereas it is not the case for visiting a wildlife sanctuary these being the major differences that cause a huge positive outcome for dehing patkai it's quite apparent that you all would be curious whether there will be any kind of change in the mining activities of the area dehing patkai was declared a wildlife sanctuary in 2004 but the efforts of giving it the status of a national park date back to 1995 State Environment and Forest Minister Parimal Shuklabaidya said that they have been considering the upgrade for a while now as Dehing Patkai is the property of Assam the state would have to do its best to preserve it as a national park its importance will increase and the new rules will bring increased protection and security to the area while Dehing Patkai wildlife sanctuary includes parts of Upper Dehing Joypur Dirak Reserve Forest It is not yet known what areas the proposed national park would include. Right now we are only taking the current wildlife sanctuary into account. We will consider extensions later, said Shuklabaidya. One forest official said that the extinction of the sanctuary's boundaries may not be easy as many agencies like Coal India Limited, Oil India Limited have leases in the area. those will have to be settled and the community views will have to be considered now it's important to know that the end of mining activities will depend on how exactly the boundary is defined for the national park and if it is inclusive of the lease or not but the positive news being that by the inclusion of dehing patkai as a national park making it the 6th in the assam state indicates that the state's willingness in protecting the wildlife and environment that thrives there is at its best the efforts of not only assam but all northeastern and himalayan states is very apparent by the many measures that they take to preserve their natural resources one such being the rejuvenation of streams springs are natural discharge of groundwater aquifer and is a component of the hydrosphere there are around 5 million springs across india of which nearly 3 million are in the himalayan region alone Therefore springs have a significant impact in maintaining the Himalayan ecosystem. Mountain springs are the primary source of water for rural household in the Himalayan region. For many people springs are the sole source of water. For example, a majority proportion of drinking water supply in the mountainous parts of Uttarakhand is spring based. While in Meghalaya all villages in the state use spring for drinking, irrigation and for livestock. Apart from this 90% of water to Himalayan rivers like Ganga is contributed by these springs and streams as such the flow of spring is always connected to the flow of Himalayan perennial rivers unfortunately these springs didn't get their due attention which has deteriorated its condition over the period of time due to increasing demand for water ecological degradation of the mountain areas and the unsustainable land use resulting in drying up of the springs According to a report by Niti Aayog, nearly 60% of the springs in Himalaya have declined during the last couple of decades, which have consequently affected lives of millions of people in the mountain. In 2014, the National Mission for Sustaining in the Himalayan Ecosystem under India's National Action Plan on Climate Change 
had suggested statewide program for rejuvenation of Himalayan springs and protection of high altitude lakes. Four years later, the Niti Aayog Report 2 lays down the roadmap for revival of the springs in the region, proposing to launch the National Spring Water Management Program for the Himalayan region. On 2nd April 2020, under the NMHS Supported Program, IUCN took an initiative to revive springs in its project villages in all the three Himalayan states of Himachal Pradesh, Uttarakhand and Sikkim. The methodology adopted included inventorized springs, preparation of treatment plants, implementation work and capacity building. The inventory included a list of dried springs and the running springs with necessary parameters. The treatment plan developed is on the basis of geohydrological mapping, identification of recharge zone, recharge structure and assessing socio-economic conditions of the project village. At the community level, water user committees are also formed to make people understand the need to conserve their springs, how it is done and that they will be willing to take the responsibility for managing their springs. The consequent efforts to recharge the springs are gaining momentum. The spring initiative saw enthusiastic participation and commitment of all concerned. In addition, these capacity building programs emphasize on conservation and management of the forest, which can directly contribute to watershed management and reduce vulnerability of people against climate impacts. Indeed, technology has come a long way. It has made so many things available for the common citizens. Plastic is one such product. It is highly used in the modern life for its durability and affordability. On the other hand, plastic poses a huge threat to the environment due to its non-renewable nature, making it very difficult to decompose. A UK student, Lucy Hughes, has created a bioplastic that breaks down in just six weeks. Unlike synthetic plastic, which is proven to take around 450 years to decompose, this plastic is made from fishing waste such as fish scales and algae. Actually, the fish scales have these materials called chitin and chitosan. These are potential to be made into plastic. The bioplastic is called Marina Tex. It doesn't leach toxins in the environment and is stronger than standard plastic bags. It can be used in a variety of packaging. Remarkably, when this form of plastic is burnt, little or no smoke is emitted. Furthermore, it is exciting to inform that when this kind of bioplastic breaks down, it dissolves and nutrients are released in the soil, which promotes its fertility. As a result, it can be used as a fertilizer. The waste from one Atlantic cod can produce around 1,400 bags. Let's talk about some history. This 22-year-old student, Lucy Hughes, made this product as a way to tackle waste in the fishing industry, which produces around 50 million tons of fishy byproducts each year. Lucy bound fish scales together using ingredients from algae and crustaceans. And after more than 100 experiments, she hit upon the winning formula and won the International James Dyson Award of 2019. The International James Dyson Award is an international design award that encourages and inspires next generation of design engineers. This bioplastic can be broken down at home in a compost. Globally, 300 million tons of plastic waste is produced every year. It pollutes the environment, harms the animals and enters our food chain. This new invention of bioplastic called the Marina Tex 
could be a replacement for a lot of waste that the world creates. We cannot say that it is the sole solution, but many such technologies coming together and making a more sustainable lifestyle would really help the current situation of the world. So we end today's episode here and we hope you enjoyed listening to us. If you really like this episode, please hit the like button and make sure to subscribe to stay updated. And don't forget to share this video. We really appreciate your humble support on Patreon. Link is down in the description. Stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new topics.